Ephesians chapter 4. And um, doing prep for this, I've, uh, I was reminded of a few months ago, I was confronted with this question, what makes a healthy church? How do we measure the health of a church? And there's different opinions, you know, we, we, um, we would all agree that, okay, numbers doesn't measure a healthy church. We would all agree on that, you know. Um, uh, it's not insignificant. We want the gospel to be spread and want people to save and ultimately the church to grow. But that's not a measure of success because anyone can go to church um, for any kind of reason. What about, um, <clears throat> what about faithfulness? I think that's a better measure of a healthy church. You know, if, if everyone says, you know, out of the 52 weeks of a year, I attended church 48 times. And, and I think that's a better measure because you wouldn't be faithful if there was, if there was nothing, you know. But you can be compelled to go to church for other reasons than spiritual maturity. Um, it's not an absolute measure. <clears throat> I think uh, Catholics and uh, Muslims are very faithful, <laughs> but um, they are. Um, there's other reasons that compels them, uh, not uh, not necessarily um, the yearning to to praise and worship. Okay, <clears throat> what about um, what about um, programs and ministries and and things like that? Uh, many churches, uh, especially in America, they're very program centered. They have to have uh, X, Y, and Z ministry. They have to have a Bible club. They have to have a holiday thing. They have to have this. And if you don't keep up with the Joneses on your programs, then people will go to another church that, that offers those programs, uh, unfortunately. So even good churches are sort of forced into, um, we have to have all the programs. You know, could a church be healthy that didn't have a men's ministry and that didn't have a ladies' ministry? Yeah, I think a church can be very healthy. <clears throat> so, you know, encircling this, um, this idea, we come to Ephesians chapter 4. Up to now, we've really talked about uh, the church. Uh, what is it based on? What is it grounded on? Um, Rooted in love, we read from the previous chapter. The hope of our calling, we read in chapter 1. Um, the purpose to, to know and be filled um, it, with the fullness of God in chapter 3. Um, so to be unified because we have a purpose. How do we know that we are ready to take on that task? How do we know that as a church, yes, we are going to fulfill our purpose? 
but it's not, it's not a case of just because we attempt it, we will automatically, by default, achieve it. That somehow um, we... <laughs> um, there's no challenge in it. There's no uh, work to be put in. Just uh, because we say, okay, we are going out and we're going to share the gospel, that, um, that that victory will just automatically happen. Is there a chance we might fail in that purpose? Have you ever thought about that? Yes. So how do we measure the strength and the health of a church in our ability to take on that task? And that is what chapter 4 is all about. So it's moved away from big, broad people groups, Gentiles, Jews, the church, and it puts... uh, individual uh, focus when it's talking here the language and the words are pointing to you and you and you and me so for our message today it's called growing up and standing tall like the children standing on both feet And when wind comes, we're not tossed about. I want to look at verse uh, 1 to 7. So you can write in your bulletins that as well. And then from verse uh, 14. And in between, there is a little uh, transitional passage. So let's pray now and then look at it together. Dear Lord, we thank you for the word. We thank you that uh, as we endeavor to fulfill our purpose as a church, that we may do so uh, confident that you empower us and that um, where the responsibility lies on us, we have prepared. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 4, verse 1 says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you were called. Okay, so right off the bat, he says, you have been saved. You have been um, brought into this inheritance of of grace, you have been, your salvation, something that has been set uh, on its path before the foundation of the world, um, now culminates and it says, uh, now in your salvation, um, you have a purpose to fulfill this calling. But then it says, therefore, I exhort you to walk in a manner that is worthy of this calling. By contrast, we can walk in a manner that is unworthy. That we're, we're called to this purpose, 
and there is a road we can take that um, might delay or uh, hamper or even uh, miss the mark entirely as a church. Let's read on. It says, with all humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we measure the health of a church? Well, I think a very good measurement would be to look at the unity of the people within this church. Jesus himself said, <coughs> a church that stands, the, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, but from the inside, it can destroy itself. But notice that he places that responsibility on the individual. He says, if you walk worthy of this calling, this calling that the church has been gathered together to, to, um, to accomplish in Christ's name, it is your responsibility and your responsibility and my responsibility with all humility and meekness and patience. Humility is, is the lowliness to, to not raise yourself up, to not be prideful in what you have accomplished and what you have done. Oh, I'm the pastor of the church. I'm more important than everyone else. And this person, and, 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 you, and you measure yourself up against other people. Well, I'm more faithful than that person, and I'm more uh, let pride go by the wayside. Humility. We're talking about the church specifically. When you look to the left and to the right of where you're sitting and behind you and in front of you, the church. Meekness, humility, meekness. You're not looking for a fight. You're not, oh, you're, you're not uh, strict. You know, like a drill instructor would be the opposite of meekness. You know, they have their place. That's necessary. <clears throat> but it says in order uh, to be effective, in order to preserve that unity, you and you and you and you and me have to grow and cultivate meekness. Let's handle a situation tenderly. Let's not uh, bring out the whip and the lash the second someone steps out of line. Patience, bearing with one another in love. Long-suffering. You know, we are all people. We... we uh, uh, we have our quirks and we have our flaws and we have our preferences. 
you're not going to immediately like everyone that you go to church with. It's going to be difficult sometimes to grow relationship with one person and easier to grow relationship with another person. Oh, that person just has some quirks. I, I just can't. I just, I just can't. Don't ask me to fellowship with that person. I, I, I just can't bear them, you know, the, the way they, they laugh or whatever, you know, whatever it is. That's a small, uh, uh, silly illustration, but it can be bigger as well. Are we willing, uh, as this verse says, to be patient, to be long-suffering in love? When, when internally just so frustrated, I've had it up to here, go one more step beyond the call of duty. Go one more mile. You know, if we each strive for that, as the verse uh, goes on and it says, there is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope, says in chapter 1, the hope of our calling, the richness of his glory, it says, the same hope which you are called, uh, called in one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. <coughs> Why? Why does it matter that I... I treat you with such patience. Why does it matter that I cultivate meekness? Why does it matter that we resolve arguments within the church? Why does unity matter? We're all serving in our ministries. We're all doing what we're supposed to be doing. Isn't that enough? It says, <laughs> unlike people that have a cultural background in common, unlike people that share the same last name, unlike people that speak the same language or have the same hobbies in common, you and I have Christ Jesus in common. The same spirit, God's spirit, indwells me and he indwells you. If there is anything on this earth worth preserving. Isn't it that? That we have this amazing, unspeakable thing in common. We have the indwelling of the Spirit. I'm, I'm not just talking to a random stranger. I'm talking to someone else that has repented of their sins and accepted uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Shouldn't that be worth preserving? Shouldn't we go the extra mile? Yes, this is not a gym membership. It breaks my heart when people treat the body of Christ so casually. It 
So how do we preserve this unity, the verses in the bonds of peace? Peace is the rope that holds uh, this unity together. And peace is not going to happen by default. We, we when we when we encounter uh, tension, when there is something, I mean, I have um, unintentionally offended someone. Many times, actually, within my time here, I, I, I hope that um, I, have, I have strived for unity and gone to apologize and gone to hear that person's side of the story and to the best of my ability, um, I have tried to do that, even before I was a pastor, because it is my duty to you. I'm holding you up, and you're holding me up. We have to make peace. It's worth it. Don't keep silent. Don't let a grudge grow. Don't let there be bitterness. Speak up. And trust that your fellow brother and sister will uh, treat the situation as you are with meekness, with long-suffering. It's worth it. Then there's a... Um, A little connecting um, phrase where it says, uh, talks about the gifts that uh, Christ uh, brought from on high and, and, um, and the ministries or the, the people that um, uh, throughout the history of the church, not in any one local context, have, have given so that uh, we are able to grow up uh, and we're able to, uh, with this unity in mind, then now we are in a place where we can equip and grow and, and be ready to take on the purpose. So it says um, apostles and prophets and, uh, and teachers and evangelists. And then from... Uh, Sorry, let me just get it. <clears throat> From verse 13. Until we all come into the unity of the faith. I'll read from verse 10, actually, for the context. He who uh, descended is also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things gave some apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, for the building up of the body of Christ. If you've ever been hiking or camping or outdoor adventuring uh, with a veteran, you know, uh, they've got everything that they need and they've got a contingency for every circumstance if it gets nighttime they've got the flashlight uh, if you lose your way they've got the compass 
if you need to climb something, they've got the rope. That is what it means to be equipped. Now we have a purpose, and we need to be equipped. That is one of the wonderful things of the church. I don't want to waste the time the Lord has given me. The work that he has called me to. I want to walk worthy of that calling. And in the church, we are able to equip one another. That is why, as I said to the children, it's so important that we take our own spiritual growth seriously. We cannot let um, idle sins go by the wayside and be excused. It doesn't affect anyone. Maybe it's a, it's a short temper. Maybe it's um, a bit of stubbornness. Maybe it's uh, a vice of some sort. Your individual spiritual growth matters because you are part of a body that we equip one another it goes on um, it says for the working of the service the building of the body until we all come into the unity of the faith again over and over unity and the knowledge of the Son of God into a complete man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. <clears throat> complete man is, is not a perfect person, but a person that in Christ Jesus lacks nothing. I, I'm not perfect, but I know that I have everything I need with me. I'm equipped. He says, what happens when we're not equipped? How does our individual um, uh, spiritual uh, firm-footedness, if I can say, affect the church? He goes on so that we may no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men. <clears throat> when we go out and we share the gospel and we guard the truth of the word, <clears throat> and we edify and grow each other, and we, and we uh, are a testimony of Christ's love to an unbelieving world, it says people are going to have something to say about that. Many people, especially even in the first century church, they began to face opposition from within. People came into the church with different ideas and new ideas. And if we individually do not know 
and can stand with the truth. He prayed in chapter 2 that you may know, that you may come into the knowledge. If we do not uh, live and practice and focus on, on sanctifying ourselves with the power of the Spirit, um, we may become susceptible These were, were not ideas brought in from the outside, from the other side of the front line. These were ideas brought in from within. And we need to be able to say, well, I don't agree with that because this and this and this. Hopefully, you say, I don't agree with that because the Bible says this and this and this. Says, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ himself. I'm going to end there. I want to encourage you all to think about that as we have taken responsibility for our church, uh, what makes a healthy church? It's when we care for each other, when we strive for the unity that is so essential to the, to the, the growth of the church and the health of the church, and that we remember that unity uh, is impacted by how, um, how seriously we take our role as a member of the, of, of the body of Christ. Don't treat it casually. For your benefit as well, that we can come up next to each other and we can hold each other up and I can trust you to keep me accountable and you can do the same. Let's, let's be an effective church. Let's not just go about the motions. Um, we have to have so many ministries. We have to have so many people in the service. We have to have this. We have to have this. Let's focus on, uh, on what we see here in Ephesians. I can trust you because we are all striving for that unity. And you can trust me and we can trust each other because we are all working actively to be equipped knowing that I play a part and you play a part and we all play a part. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for the truth of the word and I pray that we may be convicted to grow in the areas where, uh, where we may be lacking 
actively, Lord, and intentionally let us be motivated to know that the Holy Spirit indwells us and empowers us and that the value of a unified church is so great in your eyes. We thank you for the love that we have for each other and I pray that that may be continue and that the members of this body may be a blessing to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand for our doxology hymn.